It's a blessing to have you tuning into Soul Talks with Bill and Christy Galtier. We speak the unspoken feelings that aren't normally talked about. We offer empathy and turn to God in prayer. All of us especially need emotional and spiritual help in our families, churches, and friendships because it's in these relationships that we're most likely to experience hurtful conflicts. So we're doing a series with lead pastor couple Ken and Susan Baugh on repairing torn hearts and relationships. It's easy to subscribe to Soul Talks using the podcast app on your phone or by going to iTunes. We love having you in our community. Friends, so glad that you're tuning in to Soul Talks with Christy and I and Christy, glad to have you back here with us on Soul Talks. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Missed your voice the last couple of weeks. Thanks. This one's fun. We're sharing a mic. We get to be really close. Yes, I know. <laughs> if only our listeners could see. We're like cuddled here. I'm almost kissing you. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah, it's very fun. And on the other side here, we've got Ken and Susan Barr, our good friends, and they're they're sharing a mic too. Yeah. Yeah, and they're just as cuddled as we are. Yeah, I was going to say get a room, but I guess we should. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for having us. Oh, it's our privilege. Well, we're in a series here on repairing torn hearts and relationships with Ken and Susan. And in this episode, we're talking about emotionally healthy community. And we're in one with Ken and Susan and yes. you and I here. And of course, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, emotionally healthy community that the ultimate model for us. Yes. So really thankful for the two of you. And, you know, you, you guys are heroes to us. We so respect you, you know, mm-hmm. just journeying with you through the pain and mm-hmm. uh, the growth and seeing you really be vulnerable and humble yourself and your commitment to health, both spiritually, emotionally, relationally, just really thank you for that. And just getting that front seat view of it has been a real privilege. So we're excited to share this with you, our Soul Talks listeners. And we want to just read here Luke 6, 27 to 31. And Jesus is saying, But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak... Do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Those are challenging words. We'd rather think that that's not going to be like that in community. Yeah. We we just like all the kumbaya, you know, all the loving each other, uh, the feel goods of that. But, you know, sometimes it's hard. Yeah, and we've been talking with uh, Ken Baugh the last couple of weeks in this series of Soul Talks on repairing torn hearts and relationships and uh, your story. Ken and Susan is one in which it was a lot of pain and difficulty and conflict in the church with people you love. Yes. Who then became in a category, some people, where it felt like they were enemies. Indeed, it did. I remember just, you know, seeing you, Susan, tear up and crying mm-hmm. and saying, you know, I love these people. I don't mm-hmm. I don't want to give up and walk away. Mm-hmm. And yet we're so hurt and it, it just felt so disorienting. What's happened here in our community that we love, that we sacrifice for, that we're committed to? Yeah, and I think it was especially hurtful that we didn't have at the time the opportunity to say goodbye. Well, the opportunity was given, but it was in a time frame that I didn't believe I could do. 
So not being able to have any closure with people that we have done community, done life with was very difficult. And even though Susan's role was less public than mine, she was still always there to greet people and encourage people mm-hmm. and support them. And that was hard for you to have to let go of that. Well, and initially, I think I was in a state of shock, mm. a little numb. Initially, just felt it came from nowhere, just so surprised. It's hard and to believe that this was, was really happening. I just couldn't understand, and I just prayed and prayed, Lord, just help me in the mystery, to just trust in you and surrender. Well, one of the things that had to be so hard, Susan, was, I mean, you know Ken better than anyone, and you have such love and admiration for your husband for good reasons. We know him too. And, but yet that is not the way he was being perceived and experienced by some of the leaders in the church in that season. And so, I mean, how does that that affecting you? It's just like, oh my gosh. Well, honestly, the Lord put in my heart immediately, we need to call Bill Hmm. and Christy because we had relationship with you. We trusted you. We felt safe with you. And I just, since that invitation from the Lord, that, and it came to fruition. You supported us, you cared for us, you listened to us, and just loved us unconditionally. You know, I've, I've never told you this, Susan, but when I think of a pastor's wife, you're one of the first ones I think about as a model for a pastor's wife. And one of the reasons is what you just said, because, you know, knowing you over the years, I have seen the way that you have supported Ken and Maybe our, our listeners can even begin to get the sense that, you know, Susan is just the, the most gentle, tender, sweet soul who is just kind and, and a great listener and really comes alongside people, but you don't like speak with a loud voice. You don't like draw attention to yourself. You're just that, that faithful friend. You know, you go deep with people. You really draw them out. But in a quiet way, I've ex- observed and experienced you as a powerful leader, and yes. I th- I've seen you in that as a pastor's wife, and in this story here, as it relates to you know what, what happened with, with the conflict at Coast Hills and Ken's whole experience as a pastor, and your support of him, but also your encouragement of him and really leading him in times and ways, I think, that, that you would say, Ken, in terms of books to read, people to talk to, <laughs> come talk to Bill and Christy, come, coming with him, you know, kind of getting him started. Yes. That's a gift to hear from you. Thank you. I don't always feel that, but it is my desire. Yeah, and I think over the years, I think you have felt like the things that you bring to the table in character, in ministry process, aren't necessarily as easy to identify as gifts of teaching or being upfront or music, those kind of things. I remember even when we were in seminary, you were questioning God's call on you as a pastor's wife, because the people that you were seeing around you, you didn't share a lot of the same gifts that they did. You didn't play the piano and you didn't do upfront things like that. But your gentle spirit has been such a support to me, to our girls, to our family. And to Bill's point, God usually speaks to you first because you're actually listening. And uh, it takes a little longer for me to get it sometimes. Yeah, it was really beautiful to see also the way you pulled in the friends and stayed in community, those that you'd been in small groups with. You didn't isolate. You didn't pull away during this time of great grief and pain and desolation and disorientation. It would have been easy to do that. Yeah, that's a great point. Honey, what gave you the capacity to not do that, to not isolate and limit uh, our need. circle? Need. 
sheer need, desperation of my closest friends would just give me courage, support, and to remind me who I am in Christ when I needed it the most, when I was doubting, when I was fearful. It was a scary time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and you were really, uh, I think, a, a key support and strength, you know, for Ken, like Bill was saying, I, you know, I would see the way that you were kind of just praying for him and supporting him and seeing him. Here he he was being seen from the elders and the staff critically and being judged, but you were holding on to the heart that you knew that he had and you were respecting him and you were continuing to be right there with him, you know, affirming his character. And that was beautiful. And your daughters too did that. You know, I saw the way your family, all of you, you know, held together so beautifully in unity there during this time of suffering. It didn't divide you at all. It it strengthened your bond. It really did draw each of us closer together. I can really attest to that today. It was amazing how encouraging our girls were. Just so protective. Yeah. Very loved. It was beautiful too. You didn't respond like Job's wife. (laughs) You know, you didn't start start cursing everybody. A few times. I do not want to what I do not want to do. Of course you'd have those feelings. And I think that was part of the shock is how can they be treating him this way? He Mm -hmm. is such a gentle shepherd, but I think God had something else in mind. And I just didn't understand his ways at that time. And now I have a little more clarity of how he's moving and growing us. Yeah. And I think too, that, you know, one of the things I remember Dallas Willard saying is that spiritual disciplines enable us to do something in the moment that we couldn't do otherwise. And Susan is not only a student of the word, but had spent two years memorizing the book of Ephesians. Mm -hmm. And so had been doing a lot of things that I believe the Lord in his sovereignty and his omniscience knew she was going to need as the scaffolding around us, our family, me, to kind of keep from a human standpoint, be used by the spirit. Holy Spirit to hold us up and hold us together because there were times where I felt like I was just coming unraveled because I was dealing with so much, so much pain. I remember sitting in your office, Bill, one Mm -hmm. early on in the process. And I said, Bill, I feel like I have been broadsided by a semi truck in the middle of an intersection and I don't know how wounded I am. I need Mm -hmm. you to tell me how bad off I am Mm -hmm. because I didn't have enough self-awareness to know that, you know, I had a couple of limbs hanging off of me. And there was blood everywhere, and it was my blood. I was in such shock and such a state of denial that I needed an outside perspective to help give me clarity on, this is really bad. You are really wounded, and there's a lot of work that needs to be done here. And so Susan was always there to be supportive and that source of strength. Never once did she play into my sense of failure. Never once did she... Why couldn't you have done this differently? We had some very dear friends of ours that were, it was hurtful because their thinking was, well, if Ken would have just humbled himself and then this would have never happened Mm. like it did. And she never did that. And Mm. I think just her confidence in what God was doing in the situation and what God was doing in me, that she had a vision for something that was much bigger than I even had the capacity to have a vision for. Yeah, so the the community that the two of you had developed in your marriage was so uh, pivotal. I mean, you you could have never gotten through this whole ordeal without that. 
you had worked on your relationship for years leading up to this mm-hmm. so that you could be now support each other through the crisis. Bearing each other's burdens. They, we really li- live that out. Mm-hmm. And as Ken mentioned, memorizing scripture in our community, we we're doing that together. And we held fast to his word, his promises, his goodness. His kindness became so much more real in this very difficult time. That was the hidden blessing. It's a huge thing, isn't it? When people come alongside you with, with gentleness and patience and they, they listen with empathy Sit and they minister that kindness, it brings the kindness of God to you. Yes. Yeah, it's, the, it's that ministry of presence mm-hmm. where we become, as those in whom Christ dwells, we become conduits to each other of his love and his grace. But the irony is that it's easy to resist that out of our own sense of shame, out of our own fear, out of our own pain. And so it takes us to this understanding that we need to make ourselves, we need to open ourselves and make ourselves vulnerable to receiving the help that's there. And Susan has been such an example to me of one who has for many years just working through her own personal victimization from years ago as one who was able to be open to what God was doing in a season of her life that was incredibly painful before we were even married. But what God did in her and through her and then in her recovery process, what we were able to do together and the bonding that ensued as a result of that is just part of what God used in the community of marriage to help us get through what we went through. Yeah, I remember during this time, um, I lost sleep too. <laughs> you know, we lost sleep too because we were just in pain mm-hmm. for you and also because the Lord would just, you know, wake us up to pray for you in, in deep intercession. And just the pain that we felt journeying with you. I mean, Susan, that was so much more exacerbated mm-hmm. for you than it was for us. And yet I felt it so much. Even things like not being able to defend you, Ken, I, I can only imagine as a wife. I mean, mm-hmm. here there's all all these people, these thousands of people that know that you've been let go from your church, but they don't know why. And all the vulnerability of all the projections into that, what people might be thinking, what they might be assuming about my husband, what they might be assuming about us. They must think we did something really bad. And you hadn't done, you know, you hadn't done anything bad, except that you hadn't met expectations and you were tired and you didn't realize it, you know, and and hadn't known how to take care of yourself in some of those ways. But in terms from a moral standpoint or, you know, some of these kind of things, that was painful. That was a deep wound. Yeah. Say say more about that. that. And that's where you came alongside of us and our community to remind us of who we were, that we are God's beloved. He Mm -hmm. delights in us. Mm -hmm. And... That gave me such a peace and a strength to go on. It really did. I couldn't have done it without our community. And what you're saying is that people sitting with you and showing you that you're the beloved by, by caring for you, by listening to you. I thought you. they would reject us too. I was just so mm. confused mm. by what had happened. I, I never dreamed that reality would come to pass. So, yeah. So I was delighted in how much they embraced us. and. We're just present with this for crying, tears. And they were grieving too. Yes, they were grieving too. Yes. So it was a give and take. And all of you in a forgiveness process. Yes. Because it it cost everybody in your community, you know, something. Yeah. And we had probably 80 to 100 people that were in various concentric circles of community around us that I felt like I was still having 
not having. I was still pastoring through this. So I didn't want to do what I would tend to do is start caring for everybody else and then ignore what was happening to me. Mm. But I did feel like we had an opportunity to shepherd them through this because there was a very real vicarious trauma that people experienced that were close to us because it didn't make any sense to your point. There was no infidelity. There was no embezzlement. There was nothing that typically is cause for this kind of treatment. And so it just was very confusing to people. And it wasn't enough for the elders to tell people, well, it was, you know, we can't really go into it or which makes it worse because then people start thinking, oh my gosh, well, what did he do that would merit this? Because for a a 10 year pastor to just disappear, there didn't seem to be any issues with, from a public standpoint, was very confusing for people. And then it made it hard for us because then we chose to stay in our community instead of leave the area, move out of state, which would have been way easier to do because we would run into people all the time and they're like, what the heck happened? So now we're in a difficult situation Mm, because we don't want to just throw everybody else under the bus, even though I think, I don't think I handled some of those conversations as well in the beginning as I did later on, but trying to meet them where they're at in their grieving process because their whole world was changed as well, that it, it just became really difficult. And you had people coming to you as well, didn't you? Just asking you about what happened and put you in a position where you felt like, what am I supposed to say? Do you remember any specific conversation you had that would illustrate not specifically? You know, in a time of betrayal like this, it makes us afraid to trust anybody. We start to feel like we can't trust anybody. And I love how you still chose to trust. I think the hardest thing was, along with the questions, was the feedback of positivity when I was grieving and when I really just needed some empathy. Mm -hmm. And I think that was more than the questions of what happened. I was just hurting. So like people trying to reassure you and and sort of look on the bright side and that kind of thing? Yes, yes. The best is yet to come. And which, you know what, I wanted to receive that, but it was just... Really hard. It was invalidating. It didn't feel like that. <laughs> yes, it, it was not validating of your grief and all the distress you were experiencing. Yet I felt like it was a truth to hold on to. That there was a hope there. Yeah. So it was just discerning and continually praying, taking captive my thoughts. Can a lot I, of negative thoughts. I would guess that you experienced empathy from Susan. Yeah, for sure. And again, it came down to... There was no blame. There was no, how could you let this happen? She didn't even add to the fear that I was experiencing about provision and what are we going to do with the house? And I'm sure you had to have some of those feelings and thoughts, but it wasn't something that she felt she needed to share with me, especially in that time frame. And I think, Bill, you alluded to in our last podcast episode on this, that timing is a big part of this process. And some of the people that you're in community with aren't quite as in touch maybe with their own feelings and their own life experiences that have been painful. And so they don't know how to empathize with you. They don't know how to step into your pain. And there's part of you having to feel in order to really empathize with someone else. Yes. And so their default is to try to fix or not intentionally. And so I think for Susan, having some people in her life that tended to lean more in that direction, trying to be helpful was actually having the opposite effect because the time just wasn't right. I had a friend that was doing that with me as well, who he was a very close friend, still is. And I remember going to him and sharing this, expecting to get some empathy from him Hmm. and didn't. And, you know, said, he said to me, he said, you're going to be fine. This is good. And I'm like, 
dude, that's not what I need to hear from you right now, right. you know? Yeah. And so it was just, yes, he was trying to be encouraging and supportive and believing in me and all of that, but I couldn't receive it as that at that particular time. I'm hurting, I'm sitting, I'm bleeding. I need somebody to help stop the bleeding here and that's not helping me. So you're teaching him how to give you empathy. Yeah, but I'm not even sure, honestly, before all this happened, Bill, I could teach on empathy. I could, huh. you know, intellectually <laughs> understand it from all my schooling and training, but to actually know what it is and experience it and know what it feels like to be empathized with because I'm actually able to receive it, that was a whole different ballgame. Yeah, that really changes it, doesn't it? When you receive it and you experience it, then you really understand empathy. Yes. And part of my inability to experience empathy was my lack of vulnerability in order to receive yeah. it. That's right. Mm. And that was a big learning for me, that to receive the love that we need, we have to go to it open-handed. We have to admit that we need it in mm -hmm. order to receive it. And yet the very fear we have of vulnerability is that I'm going to get hurt. And so we kind of put mm -hmm. this force field around us. Right. And the, the natural tendency for us as husband and wife going through this situation is to do that, to well, people just don't get this. And so we're just going to kind of cocoon and protect ourselves in the four walls of our home. And but we, we had a few days like that. We did. But <laughs> well, by, and large, <laughs> by and large, we chose not to do that. And there were days when if you were down, I wasn't. Mm -hmm. And when I was down, you weren't. There were more days, I think, that I was down. But you were able to really have a different perspective mm -hmm. of all of this. But I made a conscious decision to have Christy... Margie, Catherine, my spiritual director, to really bear my soul with, to not put that on you. You had enough you were processing with. Yeah. That's such an important mm -hmm. point, Susan, that I think all of us, you know, in our marriages and even in our, you know, best friendships, we need to realize, well, sometimes we can put too much on that loved one and we need secondary sources of support. Yeah. And we, we have always been intentional to try and cultivate community because we recognize how much we need that as human beings, but also how much we need that just as, as people. And I think part of our journey, Susan and mine's together, is what it means to care for others, but to be cared for. She's, it's easier for her than it is for me, but it's still difficult for her to even allow people to care for her. But that's something that we've had to learn to do better in this situation. That's been a growth area for both of us that I think has been healing. Amen. Yeah, well, this, this is really good because what you're saying here is that you needed to receive care and empathy from other people. That enabled you then, as you were receiving the love, God's love through his ambassadors, to then find a place to have empathy for the elders and the staff. And then that enabled you to move towards reconciliation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's instructive too, Christy, the passage that you read as well, just the whole idea of loving our enemies. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's possible honestly, from a place of integrity, unless we have compassion for them. Not, That's right. Not sympathy, but compassion. Mm -hmm. And you're able to have compassion for someone when you know their story. Mm -hmm. And when I started remembering the stories of those that I felt had hurt me, mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. did give me a different perspective. That's great. Yes. And it, that was part of what was catalytic to the ability to actually humble myself and, you know, it's funny because I've, you, you hear people all the time pray for humility, hmm. whereas scripture indicates that we are to humble ourselves. You don't want God to humble you. Just humble yourself. It's a lot easier if you do, that, <laughs> yeah. do it that way. Yeah. But that's something that, I, again, I had so much good theology and intellectual understanding of things, 
this process has so profoundly made those things personal mm-hmm. that has been that's probably been as life changing for me as any any other single thing in the situation. Yeah, getting your head and your heart synced up. There's two scriptures I want to share that really I kept going back to. And one is I would picture Jesus on the cross. Mm. Father, forgive them. They know not what Mm -hmm. they do. And I just, I wanted to have that heart. I really did. And, And I kept going to Joseph in the Old Testament and the crisis and the betrayal he felt. And he was just such a model to me of waiting on God. Just mm. trusting God. And I wanted to have that kind of faith. And you did. I saw you having that kind of faith. And so what a beautiful thing God has done. You think about how in that process of waiting on God, uh, being vulnerable with safe people and in community, and Ken, what you've described in terms of uh, taking initiative to, and humbling yourself to go back to the elders one-on-one and then in the group and apologize to empathize. You know, God's done a great work in, in so many people. And so, you know, the elders, they empathize with you. They apologized on their side. And so we, we really had uh, had to come full circle. And then they took leadership, you know, with Todd Proctor's help, who was the interim pastor mm-hmm. at the time, to have a whole church service now. You know, after, you know, you've met with the elders individually as a group and then met with the staff. You know, there's, God's doing all this uh uh, healing through through openness, through through forgiveness, through uh, uh, sharing with one another, being together in the Lord, uh, and then we have a whole church service now, and the place just packs out, you know, to to hear this story because everybody wants to know that when we, it, it's not big news that we have conflict because no. that that happens to all of us, right? But when we, we actually repair, we actually come back, and church leaders can say, you know, I'm sorry. You know, and, and they can be vulnerable and say, well, this was my part in that. And we, we can talk that through in, in gentleness. And so that the two of you together helped to facilitate your community with the two of you that you then included us in, that you then, you know, cultivated with, with some key members of the church that were coming around you, and then, then with the elders and with the whole church. And then now, you know, beyond that to people outside of the church and in other churches having now here this example. And we have a video of this for those of you that haven't yet seen it on soulshepherding.org, a resource, Reconciling a Pastor and Elder Board. If you want to see some more conversation and some of the church service of this, we'd love for you to search that and go to soulshepherding.org and look for that resource, the video. Yeah, and uh, so we've had Ken and Susan Ball with us, and if you want to contact them, that's easy to do. You can do that through the Discipleship Institute. They're a website and ministry, or you can do that through Soul Shepherding. They would love to talk with you and hear your story. So pray with me as we finish our conversation here. Jesus, thank you that you're the one that teaches us to love the very one that hurts us. Thank you for the way you have loved each of us in our sins while we were sinners. And Lord, we thank you that you enable us to grow in that love and you use community. You use others as your ambassadors to love us and to inspire us to love one another. Just like Susan was inspired by Joseph and, and your words, you use your word. Thank you that you're so active in our life, growing us in our ability to have emotionally healthy community and to overflow that, inviting others into that, into the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, loving community. Continue this good work in each of our souls for your glory, we pray, and into the church. Amen.
Many of you tell us that having friends listen to Soul Talks helps deepen your relationships and strengthen your love for the Lord. It's exciting to see our Soul Talks community growing. We've had over 40,000 listens in our first year. It's easy to use the share button on your podcast app or iTunes to pass on Soul Talks to your friends. Also, all of our podcast episodes are on soulshepherding.org, so you can paste the link into an email. We love hearing your comments and questions. You can connect with us on our website, on social media, or by replying to our weekly Soul Shepherding devotional email.